Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. That's the voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Talking in circles tonight. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow with you. We're talking about Talladega. Brad Keselowski, he won his 24th career NASCAR Cup Series event, the third of his 2017 season. He advances to round three of the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Plus, Parker Klugman, how about that? A win for Henderson Motorsports. Charlie Henderson and that team over there in a 75 truck. They are Winners in the Truck Series. Kligerman's second career Truck Series victory. Congratulations to him. Also some news. Todd Parrott out the 95 car. That's a rough day. Uh, rough thing for him. So we'll discuss what that means. What's his future. Uh, and plus, there's some notes about a standardized pit gun coming to NASCAR in 2018. We'll discuss all that. Plus a story that was rumored last week has since been backtracked. Um, we'll discuss that as well later on in the show, but we'll take your phone calls too at 917-889-8280 here, Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow. Uh, it was the Alabama 500 at Talladega Super Speedway. As I mentioned, Brad Keselowski was the winner. Um, a, a solid victory by Keselowski, his uh, fifth win at Talladega Super Speedway. That is very impressive for him. Um, you know, considering Dale Earnhardt Jr. had six career wins at Talladega, and everybody talked about that, um, for him to have five, it's huge. And so um, I think it's a big, big win for Brad Kislaski and that team. Uh, we're going to go to a phone call here. Jeremy in North Carolina, what's going on? Are you there, Jeremy? Are you talking to me, Clayton? John, oh, you're there, John. I am. Oh, great. What do you think about this uh, win with, with Kislowski there? Um, you know, I mean, just to me, with Dale Earnhardt Jr. retiring, there's a lot of questions about who might be the best plate racer in NASCAR currently. Um, who do you think it is? Is it Kislowski? Five wins at Talladega. He's got the win in the 400 uh, at, at Charlotte. What do you think? or the, the 400 in July at Daytona. Um, who's the best plate racer in NASCAR now that Junior's retiring? So, I mean, you've got, if you're in a blue oval, you shot at being really good on the restrictor plate race these days. Yeah, but then you think like, really tough cars running at the end of the race. So it's one of those, did you win or did you survive? I think it's more of a survive. I mean, he made a nice pass on Newman to win the race, but I think it was more of Kislowski, Newman, and I forget who the third person was. There's only three people not involved in one of those three melee. Yeah, we had Amarola there as well. You had uh, a bunch of, um, you know, uh, guys there, a couple of guys there. It was, listen, it was a crash-filled race, the crash-filled Alabama 500. I think when you look at it, uh, you know, uh, Newman was there. Trevor Bain was there as well. Joey Logano, Eric Amarola. Forge are fast all weekend. And, uh, you know, but it came down to ultimately 
the big wreck with uh, Martin Truex Jr. David Reagan that caused a, a huge wreck with contact between those two drivers um, and took out a lot of big-name drivers. Kyle Busch was in that wreck. And Kyle Busch now, I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but Kyle Busch has put himself in an interesting, interesting scenario uh, as we get ready to Kansas. You know, he's had a great year, and that brings to the point about a lot of people saying Talladega doesn't belong in the chase. Um, but, you know, a lot of interesting points. There was a couple of very interesting accidents as well but that go on the, going on the pit road with Jamie McMurray, a veteran, and Jimmy Johnson, another veteran and a champion, seven-time champion in this sport, um, having issues getting on the pit road. They seem to be on lane higher than what they should have been. Uh, I know they probably put their hands up and told the drivers behind them that, hey, we're pitting. But uh, what do you think the issue was with that? I mean, that to me was very curious how two drivers who are very smart on, on race, usually on race weekends, uh, had some, some issues there getting on the pit road. I think McMurray thought – I think he, he was told that his spotter said Kyle Busch was going to let him in, and he didn't get down fast enough and didn't get slowed up fast enough and couldn't get down. And so Kyle Busch went under him, and Eric Jones didn't see him. And that's what caused the whole melee. I mean, Eric Jones tapped him, wound up putting spinning McMurray right into Jeffrey Earnhardt. Um, so I think it's just bad communication. It's really tough to go from 190 down to 55 in a turn. I mean, they even were, some of the drivers were saying they even should start thinking about making pit road entrance coming out of turn three because that's how much of a zoo it is whenever everybody's trying to get on the brakes. I mean, there was a couple times I saw Keselowski getting onto pit road, passing a couple cars on the, um, as you're on the cement trying to get to pit road, he's passing people and then woeing down before he gets to the commitment line. So, I mean, pit road, I mean, you know, you know what I think about restrictor plate races. I think we should make them all flat tracks and just get rid of the damn banking. Because huh. As we saw Sunday, nothing to do with either wreck, and you saw what that car came back as. Kyle yeah. Busch had nothing to do with the wreck he was in. Now, he's probably got a win to get in. I mean, there's so many good cars going back on records. I mean, they like we said, of the 40 cars, only of them didn't see any damage. And that's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, 14 cars finished the race on Sunday. Um, and I know the new crash policy rule, and you look at it and you say, well, the crash policy really, a lot of these guys would have finished last year. And that's true. A lot of the drivers would have finished last year, no doubt about it. But um, still, it just shows you the melee that, that goes on here at Talladega. Um, you know, and a lot of people disagree with it being in the chase. Listen, I, again, I said it last week. We, we kind of beat this to death last week here where you say, I want my champion to be a guy who can win anywhere. Um, and to me, Kozlowski's really figured this out, this plate racing, and especially at Talladega. I said this before, you know, a lot was made of Dale Earnhardt Jr. before the weekend, and we'll get into his weekend uh, and how he did his final plate race of his career. Um, you know, he has, oh, he's got six wins at Talladega. Brad Keselowski now has five wins at Talladega, and he's only run a half, half of the, the seasons Dale Hart Jr. has. So Keselowski's turned himself into a pretty good plate racer. He's got more wins than any active driver not named Earnhardt right now at a plate track. Um, pretty darn good plate racer here Keselowski's becoming, and I just think it shows you the versatility and the diversity for Brad Keselowski. He can win anywhere at any time, and He's a force uh, on these plate tracks, and again, goes out there this weekend and, and, and just, uh, to me, he's NASCAR's best plate racer, you know, since Earnhardt's retiring. Yeah, I think he is. 
I think he's done really well. Is able to, I think that does really well in finding out how to find lane, making sure he gets the right spots, getting around. He's done really well learning how to draft, being um, a soldier. He's a solid pusher, too. I mean, he's first win ever at Talladega driving for James Lynch in the 09 car. So it makes a whole lot of difference. I think Brad Keselowski is a solid plate racer. He's a solid racer. But the other part is that uh, Doug Yates' engines under the hood. And Doug Yates and Ro- I mean his dad, Robert, the two things they want to do every time they put an engine in a car, when they were at Daytona and Talladega, they wanted to be the fastest in practice. They want to be the fastest in qualifying. They want to be the fastest in victory lane. And as Doug Yates said after the race, pretty proud on Sunday with Ford's running as well as they did. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, when you have speed on, on a play track, all you need is when you think of speed on a play track, all you think of is Robert Yates. I mean, Robert Yates horsepower. They, for years and years and years, have had um, the fastest cars on play tracks. It helped Dale Jarrett and Todd Parrott and those guys in the 88 team win uh, two days on the 500. It helped Davey Allison uh, win a plate race back in 92. Um, you know, they have a lot of plate wins, have a lot of success on a plate tracks in their career and their history. Um, and it just continues with their relationship with Ross Fenner Racing. Uh, the big story going into the weekend, John, at Talladega was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, final plate race, final weekend at Talladega. The, uh, the fans showed up at Talladega. The, the stands were full. Uh, it was a rocking joint. When he went to the lead, the, it looked like Talladega 2004, 2005, where uh, the fans would go crazy cheering for Earnhardt, um, finished seventh, you know, got into a little bit of wrecks here and there, had a little bit of damage, and I think it affected his overall performance in that race car. Um, but what were your thoughts on Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s final plate race at Talladega Super Speedway? I think my part of the race was seeing the um, video you put on your Facebook page of your watch jumping up and down whenever Earnhardt took the lead. That was my favorite part of the race. Um I think Earnhardt was respected, won the pole. He was running up front most of the day. Got caught up in a little bit of the damage, and it messed his splitter up. And he said we started third on the final restart. But he was going to be in good shape getting out of there. But the splitter was still too messed up and couldn't um, stay with everybody. He wound up dropping to seventh in the at the green-white checker restart. So it was for Earnhardt. I mean, he was running up front. Um I think it was his last best chance to win before he retires. But, I mean, it was a good day for them, a top 10 finish. which They haven't had many of them. It's something they can hang their hat on. They're going to Martinsville, where Junior loves Martinsville. And he's won at Tech before. He's won at Phoenix before. Maybe they found a little bit of lightning in the bottle before Junior goes away. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, um, they performed very, very well. Uh at Dover, I thought they ran very well at Dover. That was their best, one of their best weekends. Hendrick historically runs pretty well there. Uh, they weren't great at, at Charlotte. I think that hurt them. Um, so, you know, when you look at that, you say, well, they got to run better on a mile and a half. So I think that's definitely one of the, uh, the big issues is that on a mile and a half track, Hendrick Motorsports is behind. You got another mile and a half track this weekend at Kansas Speedway. Uh, I think that we'll see what happens with um, – the 88 car and Hendrick Motorsports this weekend with the mile and a half tracks, uh, you know, and then you go to Martinsville, like you said, then you got Texas and then, and it was Homestead, another mile and a half track. So, uh, you know, Martinsville is probably his best chance to win. No doubt about it. 
Um, but it, it was a little bit of a throwback. Uh, definitely, definitely not what we used to accustomed to seeing. You know, he sat on a pole. He, he, he never really led a whole lot. Um, but, you know, he was right there at the end and unfortunately got in a wreck. Uh, that last wreck where he narrowly missed it, uh, I think it, it hit, screwed up his nose a little bit to where he couldn't draft the way he wanted to at the end. Um, and I heard him. Uh, 978898280 here talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow with you tonight. Top 10 running uh, finishing order at Talladega Super Speedway. Kislaski was your winner. Ryan Newman finished second. Third was Trevor Bain. Then he had Joey Logano and Eric Amarola fourth and fifth. Denny Hamlin sixth. Dale Earnhardt Jr. seventh. And that was really it from the cars that weren't excessively damaged. Casey Kane was eighth. Greg Galding is best career run in ninth. And somehow David Reagan, who got beat around like a pinball uh, on his, during one of the wrecks there on Sunday, he salvaged a 10th place finish. Uh, his third 10th place finish, his third top 10 at a play track this year. Um, so, you know, a top 10 for Reagan, a great, run, a good finish for Greg Golding, who also got in a wreck. Uh, but it, it was kind of funny watching these cars, how damaged they were, John, end up in the top 10. Well, it was funny, but it was sad, too. I mean, we want good racing. We want to see our favorite guys do what they do best. We want to see the drivers who we want. I mean, you're looking at 12 playoff teams who are fighting for a championship. And what, there were four running at the end? Eight of them are in the garage. And that's not what you call a playoff team. It's like you wound up uh, deciding to bench Tom Brady and take your chances with Jimmy Garoppolo. And you didn't do so well, so you end up, Brady's got to come up throw a seven-touchdown game next week to keep them in the chance for a championship. It just is – everybody has their hands tied. And the one thing that's going to be just as bad with it next year is reading the stuff about the tire test. I mean, listen, uh, that tire test of Charlotte was very interesting, and it looked like they were, were soft uh, at times, and, and it should be interesting to see what that Roval does at Charlotte. But not to get too far off the pace here, um, you know, it was just – it changed things up, no doubt about it. I think when you look at, at Talladega, I understand your disdain for this place because I think when you look at it, you say um, it really needs it, – it's its own animal. And, and to me, the drivers get overly aggressive, and I think that's the issue, is that they get overly aggressive, and uh, really it just turns into a wreck fest. But it's put a lot of good name – big-name drivers out of the championship hunt who – we thought would be there, and two big-time Toyota teams, and Matt Kenseth and Kyle Busch. Uh, they're right now sitting ninth and 10th in the points, um, and they need to be eighth by the time Kansas ends, or they're going to be out of the playoffs. I don't think anybody's too surprised by Stenhouse and McMurray being back there. Uh, they haven't, you know, consistently run in the top five on a weekly basis this year. Uh, but Kenseth and Busch, they've had a lot of speed this year. Jimmy Johnson is only uh, one – excuse me, he's only uh, – about seven. seven points to the good over Kyle Busch. So if he has a tough day, uh, he could be out. And Ryan Blaney's only nine points ahead of those guys. So, listen, it's a – those seventh through tenth right now, it's a dogfight. And I think Talbega had a lot to do with it. Blaney got in a wreck. He, he didn't finish well. Jimmy Johnson didn't finish great. Kyle Busch had a terrible weekend at Charlotte. And his car was damaged completely at, at Talladega. Same thing with Kenseth. Um Really, I think Bush and Kenseth might be in a win-all, winner-take-all situation, or they're going to be in big trouble here uh, 
as far as the championship is concerned. Yeah, the one difference with Kansas between Talladega is you don't expect a car to finish 11 spots or 13 spots behind you. I mean, Chase Elliott is pretty safe almost. I mean, he's 13 points ahead of Johnson in sixth place, and he's almost he's 21 points ahead of Kenseth in 10th. So it's going to take a heck of a run. Chase Elliott probably has to blow an engine in the first five laps or something like that for one of those two to pass him. I think it's going to be a real dogfight. I think um, whoever whoever wins those three guys between Johnson, uh, Bush, and Kenseth, one of those is probably going to win the race. Or they're going to be right up front there, and they better hope that John- – I mean, if I'm Johnson, I'm running a conservative race and trying to make sure I get a top ten out of it and see what it is on the last pit stop. I think that's one of the things that you notice. I mean, you watch the – you watch the whole race at Talladega. The first two segments, they had some action in it. The last segment, there was a 20-lap span where everybody just went nose to tail and drove around until they got to about 20 to go, and then all hell broke loose. So they yeah. knew, everybody knew it was coming, and they just said, okay, we're just going to put it off till the end instead of everybody going. And there was times they were four wide on Sunday. Nobody in their right mind goes four wide anywhere, but at that place they tried because they oh, yeah, all I suck mean- up to each other. Yeah, and, and everybody gets aggressive because the car stuff feeling pretty good, and they feel like, oh, this is, you know, this is easy to run out here, and then all of a sudden you forget that, you know, you're still doing 190 miles an hour, and the closing rate's not what you expect and stuff like that, and you got to go at the end. Um, and, and a lot of it, too, is, is that there's just not a lot of room uh, to pass cars. You know, if you, don't, if you fall back in a lane and, and you get in the wrong lane, all of a sudden you go from 5th to 20th in a, a half a lap, and you're sitting there going, okay, now I got to be aggressive here and jump into a lane that is is moving, and there might not be enough space with 15 to go. But I thought it was interesting, John. Here, and I know a lot of people don't want to talk about this, but this is the truth. When that race got single file, there all of a sudden there seemed to be debris on the racetrack. So uh, that was a little interesting for sure. Well, the one thing that's really sad about it is you can get in the wrong lane and you go from fifth to twentieth, but the thing is your foot's never left the floor. So it's, it's nothing you you can do in that car. You're going as fast as you can. You have your foot floor. You have the f- foot. The you're mashing the gas as far down as you can. And you look, they never lift. And you go from fifth to twentieth, and you're going every bit of mo- every bit as you can. But if you go to the next lane and somebody's pushing you from behind, you can go from twentieth to third in the same lap. So this is not racing. This is who can push you faster than somebody else can push you. I I don't consider, I mean, I know they say we have all the disciplines. We have the mile and a half. We have the short track. We have the road courses, and we have the uh, super speedways. I'm sorry, super speedway racing blows. I mean, if you want to come watch the crashes, go to the county fair on Saturday and watch the smash-up derby. This is not racing. And Jeff Burton even said in the booth while all this was going on, this is why I'm retired. Well, yeah, and I think the thing is, and this is where I have, I completely understand your point, but these plate tracks, these plate tracks aren't going anywhere. Talladega and Daytona are not going anywhere. And this is, we're not going to see them not take the plates off. This is what we have to live with. And I know it's not a, a, you know, drivers are going to complain about it, and 
It's hard to pass, and it's not racing. You're right. It's not what we traditionally do for sure. Um, but it is what it is, and these guys, this isn't going anywhere. Um, I think the package, you might want to look – you could look at that, and I think they're going to make some changes there next year for it. Um, but to me, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to take the banking out of Talladega. They don't know it's too much money to do that. Uh, they're not going to open up and take the plates off. These cars go too fast now. Um and so it, that's just the way it goes, you know, and I think that's the way uh, racing is at those play tracks. It's, it's very frustrating, uh, especially if your guy's running up front and he's very fast uh, or he or she are very fast and you get taken out in a wreck. That's not any of their doing. Uh, I think that's, that's, that really stinks, but uh, it's the nature of the beast. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It, it is what it is. Now it's seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Clayton Cole, John Harlow with you. Uh, we have a caller here. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, there. This is uh, Jeremy Bach out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Can you hear me good? Yeah, yeah. What do you want to talk about tonight, Jeremy? Uh, no, I just want to touch on the point about um, with the restrictor plate tracks. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it's such a, a, a torn thing with me, too, because, you know, I'm a follower of small teams, and particularly FRM, and I – you know, with front row motorsports, I mean, that kind of, I guess, so to say, put them on the map when they got that win. And, and you know, if it wasn't for the stricter plate tracks, they, you know, might not have ever gotten that before, which was a big deal. But, you know, it's kind of like that. I always say to my buddies, it's like that ex-girlfriend that you love and you hate at the same time. You just can't get rid of, you know. Um, I remember when. Uh, a few years back, they they did the thing with the radiators and the the pressure relief valves, and they had the two oh, tandem yeah. thing going on, and you had to like that. But and you know, I, I didn't really like that. But at the same time, if you think about it, there was a bit of strategy employed, and at least you didn't have the big pack, you know. And mm-hmm. and I know that you know someone you know, mentioned about the restrictor plates, and I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I kind of wish they would just take off the restricted place just to see what happens. I mean, I, I don't well, know yeah. if that would just be total chaos or what, but. Yeah. Listen, I think a lot of people would love to see the place off, but it they'd have to create a car that would be really, really <laughs> slow because they go two third. They would go way faster. Than say Rusty, think of. Rusty did 242 before he retired when he took the plate off and he ran around Talladega. <laughs> right. So I mean, but two, but 242 is no way. Though? I mean. But there's no fence that's going to control 242 cars yeah. whenever they do 242 mile an hour. You're going to kill people in the stands. So yeah. NASCAR has to do something about that because they, I mean, the reason we have the restrictor plates, Bobby Allison went to stands at Talladega. Right. right. And that, yeah. and that was a wake up call. And, and that was a blown tire without any contact to an 88. And, I, and when that car lifted, it lifted like it was like a piece of paper. And I think that's what really, and it took the catch fence down. I mean, the catch, fence, catch fences have come, a long, long way as far as how sturdy they are since 1988, but still. I mean, we saw Kyle Larson well, not too long ago get into the stands of Daytona, too, and it hurt a lot of people. Well, and I will say, too, that, you know, I'm not a big fan of this. You can't repair uh, or you can't add pieces onto your car to repair, like, sheet metal fabricated pieces and uh, so forth. But, you know, if they're going to have that rule, I think they should make an exception for restricted plate tracks because, to the other gentleman's point, um. Yeah, you're right. There's you have no control of your destiny, at Talladega, like zero control, right? But at least if you're a team like Jimmy Johnson, you know maybe you're able to fabricate something to 
save your car or get it better as opposed to just saying, okay, we don't have enough uh, tape and this and that and sticky tape to, to last. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you guys feel about that, but I think it'd be nice to bend that rule a little bit. I uh, kind of disagree with you. And part of it is to save is uh, on behalf of teams you like. Uh, yeah. Hendrick Motorsports yeah. can bring 150, 200 people to the track and not dent the people back in uh, Charlotte who's working on next week's cars and a week after that's cars. Front Row Motorsports, not to have 150 people total from yeah. Jerry Freeze on down. Right, so yeah. <laughs> Hendrick Motorsports could rebuild a car in the pits or in the garage area with no problem and put Jimmy John back out there 25 laps down. What's right. to say if David Reagan gets in the same wreck and David Reagan's going to take 100 laps to get his stuff put together? I think it's if you wreck, you go home. I mean, there right. are it's a penalty. You wreck your car. Yeah, I mean, I see Sorry too, about your yeah. luck. Good luck next week. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I think the owners asked for this and they, they asked for it because of a of cost factor, because, you know, we saw where teams would bring uh crap with their crash carts. They'd bring pieces of, of, of rear bumpers and rear and front fenders and just put yeah, them on a race car clip. and go out there and, yeah. and they'd be right. The whole front clip and they'd be in the draft, you know, and that was good for a team if they wanted to continue, but, you know, it was unfair in a way too because, like John said, a lot of the smaller teams couldn't afford to do that, and it just, it's a cost factor at the end of the day. And I think um, it's a rule that where I get concerned with this rule is this, and I'm not gonna I'm not trying to pick on David Reagan, but we saw the, what his car looked like uh, at the end of that race with the right hand side where he had a, <laughs> a you know under red flag he had like a what looked like a sword almost popping out of his race car because his right fender was high in the air. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, parachute, yeah. And listen, it was it was created by the team to get him out there, and he deserved to finish 10th. He finished his crash clock. Where I get concerned with something like that is if Reagan goes out there and that piece falls off his race car, and NASCAR doesn't see it, or he's in a draft trying to draft, and it takes out somebody somebody who's fighting for a championship, that's where I get concerned about this rule. That, to me, is where I go, are we really making sense here? Now, NASCAR was really on the 38 team when uh, they were saying they're not going to let you run out there. They had to tape it down, and they taped it down, um, and then it fell back up again. But in general, I'm just using a 38 team as an example. In general, I'm not a fan of cars running out there trying to, you know, with just barely hanging on uh, sheet metal, barely hanging on to their race car um, because of the fact that if, God forbid, if they're in the front of the pack – or in the middle of a pack, and it goes through a radiator or cuts somebody's tire, and we get a championship determined on that, I have a big problem with that. Yeah. Well, so that, and John's that's where point, I too, I mean, well, I mean, I, I kind of agree with them. I mean, I'm not a big fan of having Talladega or Searcher Plate in the chase. I mean, I get it, but – Gosh, man, it's just – it's such a risk versus reward there. I mean, you're it's like feast or famine. You're either just – going to do awesome or you're you're going to and it's weird though because it's i don't want to say it worked itself out but a lot of the chase contenders all had accidents so you know it, I, I mean everybody wrecked and yeah there are a couple of people that gained from it but i mean it, it, it i guess it was fortunate that it still kept things like you know like one person's not completely out of it you know what i mean it, I, I don't yeah. i haven't looked at the points completely but it it seemed like not one driver from the chase is completely out of it because everyone else finished in the top 15 and they finished 40 
or 39th or whatever, you know? Yeah. What well, the one thing me, out of this, that, one of the things with the, that bothered me with this race is Martin Truex Jr. won the week before. He was winning. Right. He, wanted, he wanted Charlotte, so he's got to buy. He's through no problem. You know who caused one of the biggest wrecks of the day? Truex. That wasn't there and thought he would put himself in it, and he took out half the field. That's to true, include yeah. four other guys who had a chance at the championship. Yeah, that's true. Is it a bad day for him? Yes. Does it matter? Not one damn bit. Does it yeah. matter to the four guys who were chase contenders who were with them? Oh, yeah, because one of them was Kyle Busch, who was his biggest problem right. when it comes to going for the championship. Larson was involved in stuff. Harvick was involved in it. Kenseth was involved in it. You know what happened? Brad Keselowski was in 10th place going to Talladega. He had some work to do over the two races. Now Brad Keselowski's in second place sitting pretty and could go to Kansas and not, he can go spend the night at the casino and not give a damn. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's because that's, that's Truex point, was John. trying to do more than he needed to. And that's the thing with Talladega. If you make the slightest mistake, if he's at Charlotte, he doesn't try that move. If he's at Kansas, he doesn't try that move. But if he's at Talladega and he, he has to do something crazy to get one spot, they try it, and then he winds up taking out people who will be could be competing against him at Homestead. So in reality, yeah. 2X's wreck may have ended up helping him win a championship. Well, and I think what Talladega does this weekend, and you mentioned a lot of the big-name drivers were taken out, and they were. You know, there was some Kozlowski there that was huge for him. Um, but it puts a bigger emphasis on a Charlotte in Kansas. That to me is what this, you know, if you have a bad weekend at Charlotte and then a bad weekend like Kyle Busch did and a bad weekend at Talladega, you're in big trouble here. And Kyle Busch is going to have to go out there and win at Kansas. Um, and if he doesn't, he's probably not going to make this the second, third round of the playoffs. And he's been one of the top notch teams since July. So you sit there and you wonder how is this good for the sport if one of our fastest and best cars isn't going to be in the, in the third round, but then you look at it and say, well, he's got to also perform. And Charlotte was an opportunity for him to go out there and run good. If he ran good at Charlotte and he wrecks at Talladega, it's really not that big of a deal. But he struggled at Charlotte. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this last weekend on the show, that his Talladega ra- ra- race was a big weekend for Kyle Busch, and it turned out to be a disaster since he got wrecked. Uh, Jeremy, you got anything else before we let you go here? Ah, oh, no, that's it, Clayton. That's that's all I had, man. I appreciate. Thanks for calling, call Jeremy. Call back next week. Yeah, yeah thanks, guys. Week. Appreciate it. Great show, guys. Thank you, thank, thank you. you, Jeremy. Right. From uh, uh, yeah, great call there. One of the things as we kept going with this, when it comes to Kyle Busch, does he have as bad a weekend at Charlotte if they didn't screw up with the VHT or the PJ well, one or whatever yeah. the hell they're calling the sticky stuff this week? I mean, he got in trouble because he went where he thought the sticky stuff was, and it wasn't. That's what caused his first accident. He got loose and all that by himself because they said this is where it should be, and it wasn't. And got, he lost it because he, he trusted what the track said it would be. I mean, if they don't put that down, he's not up there running that, that high line because everybody's running the bottom. I mean, it puts an emphasis on Charlotte. It puts an emphasis on Kansas. Kansas, you can run 
different grooves because it's an aged track and it's out there in the Midwest in the cold and it has the snow and all that stuff, which ages the track and makes it a better racing surface. Charlotte doesn't get any snow within five years of a repave, and there's one groove most of the time. So until they get the package right, we're going to have this same stuff every time. You put an emphasis on races, thinking you need a great race at Charlotte, you need a great race at Kansas because Talladega is a wild card, but it's almost impossible to have a great race at Charlotte unless you have, I mean, you look, Truex started 15th and won the race. Ten of those spots he got were on pit road. All the spots, almost all the spots Johnson got were on pit road. You didn't pass at Charlotte. Nobody was really passing at Charlotte. Truex made the one for the lead. But that was within three laps of a restart, and he wound up holding the lead. You look at the way Charlotte went. If you were in the lead, you were golden. You had to well, get him in the first few laps of a restart. That's been a recent trend, a lot of mile and a half tracks. But to, to, to emphasize your point on uh, – or to talk about your point on uh, the VT, VHP or the PJ1 or whatever you want to call it, um, everybody was in that situation. Uh, everybody was in the same box as Kyle Busch was. You know, everybody ran on the same racetrack Cobbush ran at. And yet, Cobbush was the only one that had a really major issue. So, I understand what you're saying. You're absolutely right that it stinks for Cobbush that uh, he had the problems at Charlotte that were really kind of out of his, con- I wouldn't say out of his control, but unexpected track conditions. But everybody was on the same racetrack. Um, it wasn't like he was, you know, he qualified and they and they redid it or something like that, or he was the only one that, that experienced it. Everybody experienced it. And there was a lot of issues at Charlotte, but he was the one that had the biggest issues. So I think when you look at that, you say, um, yeah, it sticks for Kyle Busch, but at the end of the day, uh, everybody was on the same racetrack. Now I'm at 788-982-80 here if you want to talk to us on Talking in Circles. Um, truck Series race, John. Fred's 250 powered by Coca-Cola, another – race filled with a lot of wrecks, a lot of carnage at, at the truck series race, but a popular win for Parker Kligerman driving for uh, Henderson Motorsports, a team who ran the Xfinity series for a while, uh, way back in the day with uh, Rick Wilson. They hadn't won a, a NASCAR event, I think since 1989 in the Bush, the old Bush series with Rick Wilson behind the wheel, the great Rick Wilson. Everybody remembers uh, substituting, he was, a, he was a driver in a 44 car after Richard Petty retired in 1993. Um, yeah, that Rick Wilson, in 1989, this is the first win for uh, Henderson Motorsports since then, and Parker Kligerman gives it to him. Uh, he was running an aggressive race, a great race, and good to see Kligerman, a good guy, um, win a race. But to me, John, I don't know if you saw it, how much you saw that race, but it was a controversial pass there on Grant Enfinger with about eight to go where he was very close to going over the yellow line rule. Uh, I haven't really seen a replay of it since the race on Saturday, but um, I just, to me, it was a very controversial rule. Uh, NASCAR ruled he didn't do it, but what were your thoughts on the whole weekend at Saladega Super Speedway in the Truck Series event? I think it's uh, interesting that they make Talladega mid-state, um, I mean, like in the mid-round for the Cup Series, but the truck series finishes their first round at Talladega. It's just crazy how they end up doing that. Um, I thought it was another crash fest. I mean, like I said, when it comes to restrictor plate racing, I watch the highlights and read up the, so I 
can talk with some sort of common sense whenever we do the show after restrictor plate racing, but I'd rather cut my grass. I'd rather paint my house. I'd rather watch my daughter watch the Disney Channel than watch uh, a restrictor plate race because, like you said, there is so much carnage there. And especially after talking last week about how much the truck series teams get. There's a lot of budget that just went out the window last Saturday at Talladega that they don't have because sponsorship isn't there and the money they're getting out of the TV contract isn't there. So there's a lot of teams that lost a lot of money on Saturday. And that's the sad part about how the restrictor plate operation works. I don't think they should run the trucks or I don't think they should run the trucks at a restrictor plate race. They have 24 races. They don't have to go to Daytona and Talladega other than say we race at Daytona and Talladega. Add that much to the crowd. It doesn't add that much to the TV ratings. All it does is bring home a bunch of a uh, bunch of wrecked up trucks and put a heck of a lot of work on the crews and cost the owners a lot of money. <clears throat> yeah, you bring up a good point about um, the, the cost, no doubt about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, too, it's an opportunity for a team like Henderson Motorsports to maybe sell some sponsorship and prove themselves and say, hey, listen, yeah, you know, we're still a, a team that's still trying to um, become a consistent winner on a weekly basis, but we can win at a play track, sponsor us for the full year, sponsor Parker Quickman for the entire year. If he wins at Daytona on the play track, um, we're in the chase, and then we can win at Talladega, and we can advance to the championship you know, that helped us advance to the championship round. Um, but I do see your point. And I think Talladega is a – it's people love it and people hate it. I mean, I saw a lot of people who sat there and said this, that we should have five of these in the chase. And I was like, give me a break. Um, but people love it and people hate it. But it gives the opportunity for the small guys. Vinny Miller driving for Bowling Motorsports. He finished seventh. Uh, Clay Greenfield, you know, and he runs a very limited schedule – he finished eighth. Bobby Gerhardt, who is an ARCA veteran who won at Daytona a million times in the ARCA series, he finished 11th in the truck series race. So that was nice to see the, these guys get some recognition, finish up front, with, because a lot of these guys don't have the dollars to do that on a weekly basis because they get just outspent by the big-time cup conglomerate, cup-affiliated teams, uh, and Kligman's included in that. So um, I, I see your point there. Uh, but again, it, it's just um, it, it was a lot of wrecks. I mean, um, it, it's unfortunate. I know uh, one of the drivers, Stuart Friesian, was uh, feeling some effects on uh, the day after. Uh, he was a little sore after his wreck. So, you know, it puts you in a tight spot, too. If you're running for a championship, you can get injured as well. But um, Fred's 250, you know, what, is, what do you think this does for Kligerman? Anything at all? Uh, I know he's on NBC. And he's got that, that announcing gig he does. Um, I'm sure he, if he got a good ride to run full time, he'd take it. Uh, we've seen wins, you know, for example, Ryan Priest this year, he's won a race. It didn't really lead the whole lot. Maybe an extra race at Joe Gibbs racing. I don't think he's getting a ride full time next year. At Joe Gibbs racing, uh, Sam Horace jr. Won earlier this year. He doesn't have much. Uh, what do you think this win will do? If anything for Kligerman? I think it'll keep him, <laughs> excuse me, keep him about the same schedule. He's at now. Um, I don't know how much sponsorship they're going to be able to sell on that truck. I mean, if they were going to, you'd think they would be able to sell sponsorship on it because Parker Klingerman is out there. He's a pit reporter on Sunday. He's on NASCAR America throughout the week. I mean, you want to find somebody in the truck series who's marketable right now. You've got Parker Klingerman on TV every night of the week. 
just about. And then he's doing the, I think, what do he do? Seven or 10 races this year in the 75 truck. But you'd think they would have been able to sell some sponsorship just because of, hey, we know that guy. He's on TV during the week, so we can latch ourselves up onto him and say, well, Parker, while you're up there on NBC, say, oh, and when they'll put it under Parker Klingerman, driver of the 75, so they get extra return on investment there. They're not going to get any more sales on it. I mean, you read what Tommy Joe Martin's put on the JeffGluck.com website. There's, it's almost impossible. I mean, Brett Keselowski, his two trucks are fully sponsored throughout the year, and he's shutting it down the operation because he's not making enough money. Right. Well, that's another – I mean, I think that's, there's a hole, too, not just the play tracks. I'm sure the play tracks uh, have a lot to do with it for sure, but um, have something to do with it. But I think the series as a whole, between the TV money and how everything's divided and uh, the purse and everything, uh, it's certainly – the truck series is certainly, um, you know, something that isn't great. 917 as far as finances are concerned. Here on Talking Circles, Clayton Cole, John Harlow uh, – it, like you said, John, it ended, Talladega ended uh, round one for the truck series, uh, which means we sent two drivers home after this weekend's race at Talladega Super Speedway. One was Kaz Growler, who really was in an, a win or in situation with his deal. The other was Chase Briscoe, who's had a really nice year and has done everything but win. Um, he's out after a, a tough weekend at Talladega. Briscoe uh, had some issues, and, and it wasn't even really – a wreck. It was more mechanical issues where they had uh, something go wrong with either the gears, the, back, the rear gear on the car, truck, or something with the engine. Uh, he finished in a 22nd position. So, uh, I, you know, we talked about it when it happened, John, at New Hampshire. They struggled badly at New Hampshire. It put them in, an, in a in both Brad Keselowski trucks. It put them in a tough spot with only a few races, with only two races to rebound. They ran pretty well. Um, you know. And then all of a sudden, they get to Talladega, have an issue, and they're in trouble. Uh, so a, a really tough situation um, for these guys. You know, like I said, they, they, it's just it's a bad situation to be in. They ran really well at, at Las Vegas, but New Hampshire really hurt these guys. And, and, you know, you could say what you want about Talladega, but it was just mechanical failures for Chase Briscoe this week. Yeah, and that's the sad part about it. If you remember uh, last year in the truck series – or, or no, in the Xfinity series, no, maybe it was the truck series when William, By- I think it was William Byron who blew an engine and right. that cost him a championship. And William Byron was the best truck by far throughout the series last year. And nine wins, um, yeah. The small mechanical failure is, I mean, if you look, one of the most important pieces in any vehicle that they are racing is a $5 valve spring. And one of those go bad and your day is shot and your season shot when it comes to it. I think we got the right six going forward. I think Chase Briscoe's had a great year. He didn't win anything, but he's been competitive all season. It's sad that a small piece or whatever happened to the truck mechanically cost him a chance to go to the next round because he probably would have been in the top five. Uh, But then again, the way everybody kept wrecking, I mean, you kept going through the people whose names I've never even heard of finishing in the top 10 here. Is that what we really want? I mean, it's every now and then you get that nice story, but it's like, do you want a top 10 of who's that? What? Who? Never heard of that guy. Is that his first race ever? Oh, Bobby Gearhart. He's older than me. And he's only runs plate races and he's really great at Daytona and Arca. 
Is that the story we want, or do we want the guys battling for a championship, battling for wins? I want the guys battling for championship because they're the best drivers on the track. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, I mean, I got to give a call to John Hart, Nemechek, and uh, Jerry Kennan on that that eight-truck, excuse me here, um, because they had a badly, badly damaged truck at Talladega, and they were able to salvage a decent day. They finished sixth. Um, you know, they weren't really in the lead draft at the end, they were, but they hung in there and they kept chugging away at it, kept making that truck a little bit better after numerous wrecks and that advanced them to the, to the second round because they were in a situation where it was looking pretty grim there for a little while, but they were able to bounce their way back into that chase. They only, they did it by three or four points over Briscoe, as we talked about earlier. So Nemechek, his, the pers- perseverance of that eight truck gets him into the chase gets into the second round. Now, they're going to have a, a winnable racetrack for them at, at Martinsville and a winnable racetrack for them at Phoenix. I think they're going to have their hands full of Texas just because it's a mile-and-a-half track. So if they can go out and perform, you know, you can look back at Talladega and say, that team's not, not quitting. That team going out there and putting all their effort in there could be the difference in the championship. So give a call to that A-team and John Hunter Nemechek. They're doing it on a, on a limited budget there with Nemco. Um, Nico's a good a good truck series team, but they don't they're not Cobbush Motorsports. They're not Thor Sport. They're not those teams, uh, you know, where they have multiple trucks that are fully funded. They have one truck that's partially funded, and Joe Nemechek starting parking the second truck to really help fund the other truck. So uh, kind of the, the little team that can here with John Hunter Nemechek, and they continue on here in this championship run. And also in the next he gets his bonus points back, so he. The totem pole is a reset the going to the next race for the truck series. I think John Hunter Nemechek can do well at Texas. He is a good mile and a half track driver. Um, I think he can do well. I mean, he ran well at Vegas. Uh, he was up front fighting for the lead whenever they were running at Vegas, the last mile and a half track. I, I wouldn't count John Hunter Nemechek out at all whenever it comes to uh, what they're going to do at, Ve- I mean, at uh, Texas. The team is the team that could. And I really would love to see John Hunter Nemechek. I think he rehabbed his image a lot this year after the fiasco in Canada last year. I think people are pulling for him instead of booing him on a regular basis. I'd like to see him make it. I think he's one of the, I think we said before the playoffs, he's one of the ones I have in the final four because they just find yeah. a way to do it. They do. And they got a great crew chief in Jerry Kennedy over there. He's a great veteran guy who does a lot of great stuff. And Nemechek, John Hunter has proven his talent. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's just a matter of finding the consistent speed in that team and getting the funding for them to continue because there was talk there in the middle of the year there where it was looking like they might shut down. They found the funding to continue here, and they are going to be in this second round in the truck series. Now I'm on 789 here talking circles. Clayton Cole John Harlow here with you tonight. Uh, news coming right after Talladega on Monday morning breaking that Todd Parrott, Veteran crew chief won a championship in the Cup Series with Dale Jarrett back in 1999, two Daytona 500s in 96 and 2000 with Dale Jarrett. And I thought did a great job this year with Michael McDowell and that 95 team at Levine Family Racing. Todd Parrott's out of a job. They have dismissed him of his duties. Uh, he will no, not be at the team that's effective immediately. Um, Casey Kane's going to be driving that car next year. I don't know if this was a, a sort of a, uh, a move that, you know, maybe brings – a, a foreseeable crew chief that Kane wanted into this, into this role here and get him accumulated a team 
although they said they have a, an interim crew chief there uh, for the rest of the season. Um, but what were your thoughts on Todd Parrott here? I thought he's a good crew chief, did everything he needed to do at Levine Family. He's out the door here uh, as we get ready to go to Kansas. I think Todd Parrott's always been able to get more out of the car than you probably should. Um, he was phenomenal when he was at Robert Yates Racing, but they had the best equipment known to man. Whenever he was at the 43 for Richard Petty Motorsports, they were respectable until he made his mistake and uh, wound up getting uh, suspended for drug use. Then he came back, worked for, children, worked for Children's for a while. Then they asked him to take over at Levine Family Racing. And that 95 car has run better this year than it ever has. I almost think you can just pencil Michael McDowell and Todd Parrott into one of the front row motorsports cars next year, because I think they're a pair that's going to go together. And Michael McDowell's out of the car at the end of the season, and you need somebody to drive the car. So you're not going to just say, okay, we're done with you now because Casey Kane's coming next year. We're just going to throw people in. They've got sponsorship commitments and stuff. And Michael McDowell is one of the ones who brought a lot of the sponsorship to that. I think Michael McDowell and Todd Parrott are going to end up being a pair again. And I think if they end up going to front row motorsports, which is probably the best landing spot for them of the teams that are out there with open spots, I think it's a good fit. I think Mike Dow and Todd Parrott work well together. I think front row motorsports, uh, basically probably, uh, excuse me, um, Levine family racing basically said to Todd Parrott, it's like, Kane doesn't want you next year. And Todd's like, well, you can get rid of me now if you want. That way gives me a chance to start finding my spot for next year. And that may be yeah, what happened. And it could be a fact, too, if, if they knew that he wasn't going to be around next year and they start implementing some things as far as uh, what their 2018 game plan is. To say, well, why are we going to give Todd Parrott, who's not going to be here next year anyway, some notes and some of our ideas for next season – and bring him, bring him the notebook to another race team. I think that had a lot to do with it, where you got an interim crew chief in there right now, uh, John Leonard, who will finish the year with that 95 team, and I think they, he's going to stay there, John Leonard, throughout whoever they hire for Casey Kane. But they knew Todd Parrott wasn't going to be the guy for Casey Kane. Casey Kane, I think, comes, you know, he's a big name. He comes with some uh, recognition, and he's going to have a say in who his crew chief is. And he says, you know what? Yeah, I know you've had some success with Todd Parrott, but I want Keith Rodden. I want Kenny Francis to come with me to this 95 team. I want this guy, if he's available, go get him. Um, and they say to Todd Parrott, well, listen, you know, you've done a good job for us, but you're not going to be here in 2018. We're kind of implementing some new stuff here. We don't want to give you the notes for what we're going to have in 2018 or any idea what we're going to do for 2018 and then have you pick it up and bring it to Front Row Motorsports if you go there or wherever you land on your feet. Um, because he's going to land on his feet somewhere. He's a great crew chief. Uh, so I think that might have a lot to do with it here too. I think so. But the other part is how much is Michael McDowell sitting in the competition meetings right now? I mean, he has to give them some sort of info because if they're implementing new stuff, the driver is going to sit there and feel it in the seat and they're going to need the driver input of what they're doing and how it feels in the car so they can make adjustments to it. And the problem is they can make all the adjustments to whatever new stuff they're doing. Michael McDowell and Casey, Casey Kane likes, may like his car totally different. I mean, you look, Jimmy Johnson likes a loose race car. He likes his car barely on the edge of out of control. Jeff Gordon liked it snug. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't comfortable in a loose race car. He wasn't really comfortable in a tight race car. Jeff Gordon needed to have his car 
pretty much dead on when it came to how the setup was. So I think, and those are two drivers who won 11 championships between the two of them in the same house. I mean, you get a guy who's a one car team and you're trying to set things up for next year and get a head start on it. And you've got Michael McDowell who may like it one way because Michael McDowell's an old road course racer. So he probably likes it where he can maneuver any way he wants. And Casey Kane's a sprint car driver. He may like to, and you've seen Casey Kane sort of like Larson. He likes the top line. So they may be trying something with McDowell that won't work for Kane and they have shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, scenario there, no doubt. I think when you look at it, you say, um, you know, the crew chief to me is one of the most valuable pieces of the team because especially when you're building stuff, because they're they're the ones building it. They know how they're building their race cars, you know, how a race car is being built. A driver might not know that. I'm not trying to take anything away from Michael McDowell, but – I just don't know if a driver, how much driver has a say in how the cars are built. Now they can try and build a car and say, well, what did this do? And the driver says, yeah, this did this, but they don't know the inner workings of how the race car is built where Todd Parrott might. Uh, so I think that that's a little bit different, um, you know, as far as how everything goes there. Now I'm at 789 final couple minutes of the show here on Talking Circles. I want to get your take on this, John, uh, not to move on too fast, but I want to get your take on this. It's a kind of interesting story on jeffgluck.com this week about pit guns. Um, Gluck wrote, over the last few years, race teams have poured hundreds of thousands of dollars in developing pit guns, guns that will gain valuable time for tire changers that will change next season. People with knowledge of the situation told him that NASCAR is planning to move to a standard pit gun manufactured by Paul Pioli starting in 2018. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing had, it was known for its pit gun development. Uh, it sounds like they're going to lose that advantage next year. What are your thoughts on this, John? I mean, is this going to make that big of a difference to you? I mean, we see Joe Gibbs racing a lot of teams rolling off 11-second pit stops. Uh, do you think this is a good move for NASCAR, uh, a, a cost-saving rule for the teams? What are your thoughts on this? Oh, it's definitely a cost-saving rule for the teams. I mean, it was probably a couple years ago when Joe Gibbs started – his team started doing development of a new pit gun. They were knocking off pit stops a second faster than everybody else. And guess what? Everybody else found out and figured it out and spent a lot of money trying to figure out how to make these pit guns faster. Now everybody's ripping off 11-second pit stops. I remember back in the day, in the early 2000s, they were still running 15-second pit stops. And now they're doing 11. Now some of it's a gas tank's a little bit smaller. It went from 22 to 17 and a half. But it doesn't take four seconds to do four gallons of gas whenever they're dropping it in there. I think the pit gun was a lot of money that went into it. I mean, you look, they probably rebuilt every part, trying to torque it out, do everything they can with it. And the team, like probably the little teams like front row motorsports, um, BK, Richard Petty motorsports saying, Hey, we can't spend 200,000 bucks to develop a pit gun. So we can get one second faster on pit road. We're barely selling enough inventory to keep us on the track. We got to somehow make it even. I mean, you can't go in there and lose on pit road every week. You, sh- it's part of being the race. I mean, you want to be able to be fast on the track. You, you can be fast on pit road, but you shouldn't be making all your passes on pit road, and that's what's making the racing the way it is these days. Yeah, no, I and I think um, pit road has become a, a major advantage because of the fact, like you said, it's hard to pass. 
So you're going to try and get an advantage where you can, you know, any way you can. And pit road is one of those things. Um, I want to touch on that quick too. I also want to touch on this because we talked about this at length a little bit last week with Brennan Poole, who was a driver, uh, was a driver in Xfinity series said he was not returning to Chip Ganassi racing next season. And the rumor was that he was going to Richard Childress racing. Well, a uh, story on the internet now I read that Lee Spencer, who broke that story, is retracting a little bit. Sounds like Poole had a sponsorship opportunity to go to Richard Childress Racing next year in a Cup Series, but that, now that has fallen through, and he's not sure of his plans. He came out right after our show uh, the other night, and last week, and said, listen, I'm not sure of my opportunities. Uh, this is kind of news to me. I don't have a sponsorship. Um, so kind of an interesting scenario here as the silly season goes. A lot of people, a lot of things are, are um, happening that a lot of people haven't predicted. It sounds like a lot of things are, are people pr- are predicting that's happening, that they're hearing, and all of a sudden they're falling apart. And Brandon Poole is one of those things where now he looks like he doesn't really know what his plans are uh, for 2018. And, and Felix Sabatis or Chip Ganassi, one of the two came out and said, we expect Poole to be back next year. So what are your thoughts on that whole situation? That's why it's called silly season. Um, Somebody hears something from somebody who might have talked to somebody else. So they're going to write it. And I think um, if you look at the way sponsorship should work and and you look at the way the um, deal with Stuart Haas and Ford went, Ford was talking to Tony Stewart and Gene Haas for over a year and nobody knew about it. It was dead radio silence. The first you heard about it is whenever they said there's a press conference at 10 o'clock with Tony Stewart, Gene Haas, and the director of Ford Racing. That's the first time you heard of anything. Because whenever you sent me the, te- the Facebook message saying, hey, Stewart Haas is going to Ford, and I said, you're, you're nuts. I said, I have a better chance of driving in Cup Series than a Tony Stewart card having a blow- blue oval. And I was dead wrong. And they're getting to the point now where everybody's undercutting any sponsor because they're going to do everything they can to get whatever money they can in the bank because the $30 million sponsorships aren't there. The full season sponsors, if you look, there's only one car in the field that has a full season. Well, no, only one because Denny Hamlin has sports clips every now and then. Mm-hmm. Lowe's is the only one. Jimmy Johnson's the only one with a full season sponsorship throughout the entire field. Right. And if I think the other ones that are really close are FedEx, like you said, maybe Shell Pennzoil with Logano, where they might be 30 or more. Um, those are the only ones that are really, really close, I believe. Um, but listen, it, it's no doubt. Uh, with the, the amount of money that's – with the money that's changing hands so much now and, and – uh, drivers taking less money than what they did in years prior. Uh, these sponsorships are getting, are, I think a lot of these, the, the silly season is even more sillier, I should say, because it's just so unpredictable now because you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles today. I had a great show. Um, we discussed Talladega, and we'll be talking about Kansas at, on Sunday after Kansas. So be sure to listen, like our Facebook page, like our Twitter page, if you like what you heard tonight. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.